Many of us are familiar with the story of the ten lepers, but maybe there's some things here that we haven't noticed before. So what I want us to do this morning as we think about these ten lepers is understand what exactly is their circumstance. I want us to see if we can visualize the scene. I want us to ask ourselves, how often do we give thanks? So if you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 17, let's notice the story, verses 11 through 19, and then come back and revisit it and see what we can notice. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. It says, while he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men stood at a distance, met him. They raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face and at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. As we look at the story, there's a number of things that stand out to us. And even though they stand out to us, maybe we don't really uh, relate to what's being said here. But we need to begin by thinking about, well, who were these guys? The text identifies them as lepers, or men who have leprosy. Now, leprosy today is not normally called leprosy, but we know it by the name of Hansen's disease. And my understanding of the disease is that really what happens is the nerve endings in your extremities begin to erode away. Uh, you no longer tell uh, that uh, something is wrong. You can no longer have feeling in those extremities, uh, and you have other elements that come along with that. Uh, but it is a skin disease. It's a nervous system disease, I suppose. Uh, and it's thought to have existed in Palestine starting about 4 BC. It's a disease that uh, many people believe uh, has its origins in, in, in China, about 4,000 BC. Uh, but the descriptions of le leprosy that we find in the Bible, such as in Leviticus, are not likely Hansen's disease. Uh, it was a more general, a broader type of skin disease. Uh, could have been used to refer to anything such as Pusiris. Pers uh, uh, That's it. Uh, and skin disorders, Pusiris. I can't even, I'm not even, I'm not going to try it again. That's why I preach, and I'm not a doctor. Uh, but you have leprosy in the Old Testament. It was that broad category of disease. It was a scaly skin disease. Are you glad I'm giving this lesson right before lunchtime? It was a scaly type of skin disease. In Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, uh, the priests are told how to diagnose and distinguish the different types of leprosy or leprosy uh, in that setting. And people that had this disease were separated uh, from the community. Um, not because it was communicable, some suggest, but rather because it was a standard of holiness. 
a standard of sacredness, a standard of being set aside as something special. In Luke 17, <coughs> there's no way for us to know if this was actually Hansen's disease that you and I consider to be leprosy today, or more of the broader type category of leprosy that we see in the Old Testament. But the Levitical standard would have been applied to these men. So they would have been required in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14 to stand outside the community. They would have been required by Levitical law to warn people of their presence. So if you happen to be walking by where they were, it was their obligation to warn you, say, stay away, I'm a leprous person. And they had no contact with people other than other lepers uh, because of their disease. And yet, under the Levitical uh, law, if someone had leprosy and now they find themselves cleansed, their task was to go to the priest and the priest was to inspect them. And in inspecting them, if the priest found that they no longer had leprosy as described in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, then the person was considered to be cleansed or clean. And they could go back and they could return uh, to their community. And so when we look at the story here in Luke, in Luke chapter 17, we see these things happening. We see these men behaving as they should have behaved under the Levitical law. But can you imagine what life would have been like to be a leper in that circumstance, in that setting? Besides the fact you have a skelly skin disease that everyone would have considered gross, that you consider to be gross, all of a sudden you're an outcast. Because you're not allowed to communicate. You're not allowed to be near other people. All of a sudden, your family cannot be near you or see you. People that you did business with can't see you. Uh, people that uh, you would have normally seen throughout your everyday, all of a sudden, you're separated from them. So you are lonely, and you have this scaly disease on your skin. That would not have been a, a good situation to be in. And yet that's where these men are. Those are the things that they are facing. Nobody wants anything to do with you. You've got to constantly go around telling everybody, hey, I've got a disease, stay away. How many of us would like to do that today? And that's who these men were. They could never go worship God at the temple. Every aspect of their life was turned upside down. So visualize the scene in Luke 17. Did you notice that there's not really that much of a conversation? And it's not an intimate conversation. Notice again what the text says. Verse 12, as he entered a village, ten leprous men stood at a distance, who stood at a distance, met him. So they're following the law. They're staying at a distance. Doesn't tell us how much of a distance it is. But if you look again at the text, notice what happens next. They see Jesus coming, verse 13, and they raise their voices. So they're not close to Jesus, where they can talk quietly with Jesus. They were far enough away from Jesus that they had to raise their voices to speak to him. Again, these are good, good men. They're following the law. 
but you can see their circumstances. So here they are, and they see Jesus. And, and you look again at the text, and the text says, verse 13, that they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus simply responds in verse 14, when he saw them, so you get the impression that maybe Jesus is just walking down the road, and he doesn't even really pay attention to these men that are over here. But now all of a sudden these men have cried out to him, raised their voices at him, and have said, hey, master, have mercy on us. And when he sees them, he too follows the Levitical law of the day. And he doesn't go over and put his hand on them. He doesn't say, hey, guys, what's going on? He simply says to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And it says as they were going, they were cleansed. So they follow what he tells them to do. And they, they go to the priest, and as they go, they're cleansed. And that's sort of the, the, the circumstance. But I want you to notice the faith that these men had. In the first place, as we look at the text again, as they're going, they cry out to him, and they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Many times in the New Testament, we see people cry out to Jesus, and they call him Lord, Sir, Teacher. But these men use a word that appears only 13 times in the New Testament. And almost every time that it's used, it's used by his 12 disciples. And it recognizes someone as a master teacher. It's just a talk, talk. And it's evocative, which means it's an exclamation. They're not just saying master. They're not just saying master teacher. But they're saying master. And they're using a term that would have been used to demonstrate or to express the idea that someone was your master teacher. You were putting yourself under their authority and their guidance. So when these men see Jesus coming, they choose to address him as master teacher. We're under your authority. We're under your guidance. And we appeal to you. They didn't ask for new clothes. They didn't ask for food. They didn't ask for riches. They simply asked for mercy. These were men whose skin was scaly and nasty and crusty. And nobody wanted anything to do with them. Men who were lonely, separated from their families for who knows how long. And they knew what it was like 
He'd be to be the person in town that nobody wanted to be around. And they simply cry out to Jesus, have mercy on us. We put ourselves under your authority and guidance and leadership. Have mercy on us. And Jesus only makes one statement to them. Go show yourselves to the priests. And so they go. They're obedient. They are faithful. They don't question. Notice the text says, they went and as they were going, they were cleansed. Meaning when Jesus tells them, go show yourself to the priest, he doesn't cleanse them at first. And that's not the first thing that happens. Now, I don't know if he says, go show yourself to the priest, and they turn around, and as soon as they turn around, they're cleansed. I don't know if they were 10 feet into their journey to the temple, and they're cleansed. I don't know how far it was, but the point is, they acted on what Jesus told them to do. And they went and did it, and as they were going, all of a sudden, they're cleansed. They demonstrate their faith in two things. Number one, the way they address Jesus. There is no ambiguity in how they view Jesus. They recognize him as being the master. They recognize that he has the ability and the authority to heal, and they appeal to him for mercy. They have faith in Jesus. And the second thing is, is when he tells them what to do, they just go and do it. No questions asked. They go and do it. They have faith in God. They have faith in Christ. And so they go and do that. And that's the part of the story that a lot of times we just take for granted. We just kind of overlook it. But they knew what the Old Testament law said. Jesus knew what the Old Testament law said. They followed the Old Testament law, but when Jesus is there, they appeal to him for mercy, and they just do it. Go show yourself to the priest. And that's what they go and do. And they're cleansed. But then we get into the part of the story that we tend to focus on, and there's certainly nothing wrong for us to, uh, for using it or for noticing this part of the story. But as these lepers go, they're cleansed. But only one turns back. Only one comes back to Jesus. Verse 15 tells us, Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And then Luke says, Oh, and by the way, he was a Samaritan. A gut punch any of the Jews in the first century, you would probably you would have read Luke. Because you know who the Samaritans are? If there's anybody that deserves leprosy, it's those guys. Right? And that was the outlook to many of the people in the Jewish community. And so the one guy who every Jew would have considered to have been an outsider of the ten guys that come back, he's the one. Now, we got to be careful how we deal with this. 
Because at first glance, we think, oh, well, the other, ten, the other nine guys, they weren't appreciative. And, and certainly that's kind of the point that Jesus makes. He says, what happened to the other nine? Weren't there ten of you? Where, where's the other nine? And so Jesus as well kind of makes the observation, where is everyone else? But you see, this one man who is an outsider, as far as the Jewish perspective goes, he was the one that comes back. And he doesn't just come back sheepishly and say, you know what, that thing you did for me the other day, I'm really glad you did that. I, I'm grateful, but thanks. See you later. It says he comes back, he's glorifying God in a loud voice. He's shouting it out. He's letting everybody know, God has healed me. I'm so grateful for God. Give glory to God. And then when he comes back to Jesus, he doesn't just shake his hand and say, thanks, Jesus, for healing me. He falls down at his feet. I mean, this is a man who is deeply stirred in his gratefulness, his appreciation, his thanksgiving to God. And why not? All the things that he had been through, all the things that he had endured as an outcast, as a leper. I mean, have you ever been that guy that as soon as everyone sees, they think, oh, get away from that guy. I don't want anything to do with him. Have you ever been that person? This guy had been that person. And so when he's healed, he comes back and he is genuinely thankful. And he falls on his face at the feet of Jesus and he gives thanks. And it's within that context that Jesus says, weren't there ten of you? Where are the other nine? And again, we have to be careful with this because sometimes we come down hard on those guys as if maybe they weren't thankful. We don't know if they were thankful or not. Are they doing what Jesus told them to do? Go to the priest and show yourselves that you're clean? Because they're obedient. It could be that the Jewish priest wouldn't have seen this man because he was a Samaritan. A lot of ifs in this story. The man evidently went with the other nine, at least part of the way, to go and show himself to the priest. We need to remember the Samaritans were a, a ethnically, they were kind of a mixed, a mixed group. They considered themselves to be uh, people that were uh, descended from the Israelites, but because they didn't have papers, after the Babylonian captivity, they couldn't prove that they were Jewish ancestry, and so the Jews said, we don't want anything to do with you. And so they kind of changed things up. They followed Judaism to a certain extent, but they said, oh, no, Jerusalem's not where the real temple needs to be. It needs to be over here. And, and so they kind of had a polluted, diluted, perverted version of Judaism, but they still believed in the God of the, of the patriarchs. And so they shared a lot of that faith. That's why the Samaritan woman asked Jesus in John chapter 9, you people say it's in Jerusalem that we ought to worship, but our fathers say it's here that we ought to worship. Which is it? That's who this guy was. And so he believed in the God of the Old Testament. He believed in the God of heaven. He believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And so maybe he was intending to go to the temple and show himself to the priest. Whatever the thing, whatever the reason was he didn't go with the rest of the night, he comes back to thank God, to thank Jesus for what he had done. 
And the other nine, at least as far as we know, they're being obedient to God. They're going and showing themselves to the priest. Did they ever come back and, and, and thank Jesus for what he had done? If, if they did, we have no record of it. And yet this man did. He gave thanks to God. And so his thankfulness is recorded. This person who would have been considered an outsider because of his leprosy, this person who would have been considered an outsider because of his ethnicity, is the one who comes back and gives thanks to God. He didn't take God for granted. So the challenge for us and the question for us today is, do we give thanks to God and how do we give thanks to God? How easy is it for us to be wishy-washy in our view of God? and the way that we express our thankfulness to Him. Is it possible that at times we call out for God only in times of crisis? God, I'm going through this. God, look what's happening. God, can you help me? God, can you have mercy on me? And as soon as we're healed, as soon as the problem's taken care of, as long as things are fine, do we forget to talk to God? Or do we live our lives in such a way that we are thankful to God? Even when we have the temptation to be complacent in our faith to God. Do we ever act that complacency that leads us to take God for granted? It, it, it's tempting for us to seek to be His disciples, perhaps only at a moment of convenience. But if our faith is genuine, if our thankfulness is genuine, we ought to thank or seek to thank God in the way we live our lives. One interesting element. We'll look at the story is, is that this man thanks God. He uses the common phrase Luke does that he was glorifying God. Jesus never seems to act out of a desire for his own recognition. He glorifies God. Jesus gives glorifies God. What takes place? This man glorifies God. We ought to glorify God in the things that we say and do as, as we recognize the things that he's, that he's done in our lives. What is it that we are doing by giving thanks to God or glorifying God? We ask God to intercede on our behalf just as these ten men do. And perhaps we do so out of some level of faith just as these men do. We know that he can do anything. He has all authority and power to do anything. But how amazed are we when we see him act in our lives? Can you imagine being one of these ten guys? You see Jesus coming. In the back of your mind, you think, this is the Son of God. You cry out to him, have mercy on me. In the back of your mind, do you wonder what's going to happen? one of these ten guys. And then Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. And so you, you start down the road. And then suddenly you look down. And you're healed. Are you amazed by that? He really is the Son of God. He really can do miracles. And when we seek God in our prayers and in our lives and, and there's things going on that are challenging to us 
temptations maybe that we're facing, trials that we're facing, crises that we're facing, just little things maybe that we're facing, and we cry out to God, and things turn out well for us? Do we ever look down and say, He really can help me. He really does care for me. And it's in those moments that we need to choose to be thankful to God. So what does that thankfulness look like in our lives? It ought to look like the fact that we're not afraid to talk about Jesus with others. It needs to look like we choose to follow Him in every aspect of our lives. We have decisions in the language that we can use. We have decisions in how we uh, control and use our emotions. And, and if we're following God with thankfulness, we're constantly having in the back of our mind, I am so thankful, God, for what you've done for me. Let me act this way. Let me speak this way. Let people hear the grace that you have given me in my speech. Let them see it in the choices I make with the things that I do, the way that I behave. And when we do that, we'll be like the man who was an outcast, that nobody wanted anything to do with, but was touched by the master. And our lives turn around, and we glorify God, and we say thank you. Other people see that. And they're inspired to believe and to follow and to be healed. Maybe you're here this morning. There are things in your life that you're crying out to the Master. Lord, have mercy on me. Master, have mercy on me. That God can act. The same as he acted with these ten lepers. If you're in need of healing today, if there are things that you need the prayers of the church for, whatever your need, won't you come? Together we stand and sing.